This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. There goes the fly ball towards left field. Going back fast is Kennedy. Kennedy gets there, and he takes it. And the Cleveland Indians are the world champions of 1948. And they are leaping joyously as they go off the field. Bearden is being mobbed as our rule Boudreau and out of center field, Tucker and Kennedy come running in arm in arm. Little tap up in the air, third base side, waiting is Tommy. Foul territory, the game is over. And the Indians have won the divisional title. Indian fans have waited 41 years. And now they can really cheer. Down the pitch. Swung on, lined to deep left field. It is gone! You should see the celebration! Out of the Indians' third base dugout, Rajay Davis, a bullet, two-run homer, down the left field line, clearing the 19-foot wall. We are tied at six. This is Our Tribe History, presented by Progressive. A regular look back at professional baseball history in Cleveland, since 1901 and beyond. Now, here's your host, Indians team historian, Jeremy Fedor. Hey, Tribe fans. Welcome back to another episode of Our Tribe History presented by Progressive. I am your host, team historian, Jeremy Fedor. Now, I have a few interviews set up for some future podcasts, but in the meantime, I want to try something new. I have a lofty goal. I just kind of thought of it and thought it might be kind of a a fun thing to do is to try to cover all of our walk-off wins from every season starting back in 1901. Now, uh, that gives me ample opportunity if I'm kind of in a rut and need an idea for a podcast to kind of dip back into this well. And I figure everyone loves a walk-off. Now, there won't be obviously any... uh, Hammy calls until uh, the 90s, but um, I figure, again, why not? Let's uh, see what happens. And Personally, I just find these fascinating, and, and they're easy to kind of research and chip off um, some of the earlier years in baseball reference. Not so much, just because if you're familiar with baseball reference, they don't, they're working their way back. They're not quite at 1901 yet, but um, the information's still there, and then if you have access to uh, other sources, you can kind of piece it together and go from there. So we're going to take you back to 1901, and uh, now mind you, I'm not going to be calling them the Blues. There really isn't any evidence that 
this team was ever called the Blues in 1901. And again, that's a whole another project of digging through recaps. And, and they recalled quite a few things, but uh, never the Blues, at least in the Plain Dealer. And I think I have the Cleveland Press kind of scouted out too and didn't come across any references. But again, we're splitting hairs there. So uh, we'll get out of the weeds on that. Now, the old news clippings uh, from the Plain Dealer and, again, baseball writing at that time, it's very fascinating, and I think the writing is uh, is pretty tremendous, too. And so for that very first walk-off win in American League Cleveland baseball history, that would be May 23rd, 1901. And I love the way the Plain Dealer describes the atmosphere of that game. It said, there was a ball game at League Park yesterday afternoon. A few thousand Clevelanders may have an idea that they have seen many ball games on the same premises, but those who were not present yesterday will be voted mistaken by those who saw the game. Never in the history of the national game has there been more a more sensational finish than the one that the Cleveland team made yesterday, and never before did the same size audience show as much inclination to go totally insane or give a better oral demonstration of the inclination. So again, uh, not familiar with walk-offs and you get to, you know, witness one after that terrible 1899 season where I don't even know if they would have had a walk-off. I'd have to go back and see if the spiders did anything, but nevertheless, you know, this, this excitement and this win was really something to behold. And with most of these, the paper again, sensationalizes the game as the greatest and again something that's not going to uh, go away in a lot of these accounts so what was the big deal of that game well going to the bottom of the fifth Cleveland club was trailing nine to nothing so fans were right to think that the game was mostly over and that Cleveland just needed to play out the last few innings now give credit to where credit is due pitcher Bill Hoffer surrendered 14 hits, 13 runs, 10 of which were earned, and struck out zero Washington Senators. Offer, the 30-year-old native of Cedar Rapids, Iowa, was on his last legs. Uh, 1901 would be his last season in the American League. The five previous seasons were spent in the National League. Now, he did hold the distinction to be the first losing pitcher in an American League game when Cleveland lost to Chicago earlier that season. Cleveland and Chicago playing in the first American League game. Uh, I'm pretty sure that most of the other AL games that day were rained out, but Cleveland and Chicago managed to uh, get that first one in, and the rest is history from there. But back to the game. So Cleveland did manage to put up four runs in the bottom of the fifth when uh, uh, Frank Scheibeck, a guy named Truck Egan, uh, Hoffer, all knocked out hits while Jack McCarthy walked. Bill Bradley and Candy LaChance all hit safe and Washington had some errors by a few of their players. And that all contributed to the four runs for Cleveland. Now, after the seventh inning, Cleveland was down 11 to four and going into the bottom of the ninth, Cleveland was down 13 to five. So easily could uh, assume that this one was, was played out, but again, it's why you never leave a game early. And the paper then recaps that final inning, it said, Cleveland faced what seemed to be the inevitable in the ninth inning. The spectators had it all figured out how the home team had lost the game. Bill Hoffer had been hit quite freely and his support had been wretched. 
four errors were charged to the Cleveland fielders and 14 hits against the pitcher, and Cleveland was only a little matter of eight runs behind. That is, it required eight runs to tie the score and nine runs to win when the last half of the ninth began. So again, things didn't look great for the uh, the Mudville nine. Fans were leaving the stands, and the few that did remain stayed to boo. But those boo birds soon uh, started to cheer. And uh, so Hoffer was the first man up in the ninth, and from the bleachers came such sarcastic remarks as, Win your own game, Hoffer. Hit her out, Hoffer, and run around nine times. Then you'll win. Hoffer then struck out. So <laughs> wasn't, uh, wasn't helping his own cause there in the ninth. The remainder of the crowd began to start for home when Ollie Pickering was thrown out at first. So you have two out, bottom of the ninth, you're down by eight. Um, I imagine the win percentage is pretty, uh, pretty small. So Jack McCarthy sent a, a clean single to right field, and it said the spectators were offended. It seemed like a useless delay. And some of these spectators took the uh, adage of never leaving the ball game early, so you're kind of you know, one foot in the door, one foot out of the door. Bill Bradley hit another one safe, and the opinion was that the players were only trying to help their batting averages. But then Candy Lachance, after going after two bad ones, pounded a single to center, and McCarthy crossed the plate. Bob Wood was hit by a pitch, and then um, the bags were full, but even then, no one had the slightest hope of pulling the game out of the fire. Frank Scheibeck, however, hit the ball square on the nose for a double. Uh, Frank Jennings uh, cracked out a single. Uh, Patton was taken out of the box, and Lee substituted. Chuck Egan took uh, a walk. The paper described it as four bad ones, so four balls. And Irv Beck, who then was batting for Hoffer, sent the ball close to the left field fence that Foster could not handle it, and the runner took two bases. In the meantime, seven runs had been scored in the inning, and one more would tie the game. Pickering then singled, and Beck went home. By the time the audience gave a life-size picture of the pandemonium, let out for recess. The crowd roared and jumped and shouted. It goes on to describe some of the things that were then thrown into the air, such as hats, umbrellas, canes, cushions, that went up as if a cyclone had struck the part of the landscape. So... Again, you think of these good old days of well-mannered people, and it was certainly not. It was pretty rowdy. So if you're there, you're dodging hats and umbrellas and, I guess, people tossing their canes, although I'm not sure how they're going to get home if those were uh, canes that were needed to to walk. But uh, So you have to, to dodge those. And again, going back to that uh, the, the crowd... It mentioned that they also rushed the field and came close to forcing Cleveland to forfeit. You had these fans just kind of chilling on the field. The paper mentioned, too, that Pickering's single would have been good for a triple, but it went into the crowd, and the game was stopped until the field was cleared. Then it was McCarthy, who was the man who was given the opportunity of batting in the winning run, and he accepted it. A single to left sent Pickering across the plate, he having gone to second on a pass ball. The demonstration that followed may be imagined. It cannot be described. The oldest fans fail to recall similar finishes on Cleveland grounds. I mentioned the game in Boston. Uh, the old Cleveland team won a game making nine runs off a pitcher in the ninth inning. Um, and uh, another game in the 4th of July. But again, this was the uh, American League club. And uh, kind of came back to uh, to get the W. And a funny story or an odd story, it mentioned that 
Truck Egan, who I think's got a, a great name, played second base, had just arrived from Pittsburgh and is under contract to Cleveland. The management sprung Egan as a surprise, and no one outside the inner circles knew that he was expected here until he arrived. Now, Egan had only four more games with the club. He played his final games about a week later on May 30th. So, uh, yeah, maybe that surprise just didn't work out too well for the guy. Um, and in that attendance, it mentioned it was 1,250. So not a very uh, large draw in that 1901 first walk-off game. So I imagine any sort of uh, commemorative ticket stub or anything out there is non-existent. And that was walk-off number one. Now, walk-off number two, uh, also 1901, um, has our friend Bill Hoffer back on the mound. So you have the same pitcher for uh, for the first two walk-offs. And now, mind you, he had only three wins that entire season. So uh, two of those wins were, were last-second uh, walk-offs and uh, kind of helped him out from having a worse uh, record than, than what's recorded. And so that second walk-off was also the second game of a doubleheader on July 4th, 1901. Cleveland had put up a four spot in the second. Uh, in that inning, Lachance and Bradley singled. And uh, Bob Wood, uh, he, he sacrificed and mentioned his out advanced both runners. And then uh, uh, there was a single that scored the two runs. But then the paper kind of forgets to describe how the other two runs were scored. So you're kind of left... Uh, with your imagination. Sometimes the descriptions are a little more detailed and sometimes they're a little bit uh, off the walls. But nevertheless, in the sixth inning, Chicago tallied one run, one across one run across the plate. Sorry. And uh, Cleveland got that run back in the bottom of the eighth. However, disaster then struck in the ninth when Hoffer gave up four runs. It said Chicago made a rally in the last inning of the second game that gave the Cleveland Rooters several kinds of symptoms of heart disease. So again, the uh, the flourish of the writing back in 1901. It's uh, it's wonderful, and I think it adds a little bit of color sometimes to these uh, drab recaps at times. And again, it was Hoffer who surrendered all runs in the the ninth. Um, he went nine innings, surrendering the five runs, four earned, but this time he actually struck out three. So with two outs and Herm McFarlane on first from a walk, Zaza Harvey, William Hoy, and Fielder Jones singled, and uh, Sam Mertes hit for a triple to score the four runs for Chicago that tied the game. And uh, eventually the they got out of the inning, but the game was tied. So it's like Cleveland had to uh, work to get that run back to win the game. And for them, it was McCarthy was the first man to bat and he ended up flying out. So Jack O'Brien got on base uh, via walk, but was forced out by Irv Beck's next uh, at-bat. But Beck ended up going to second on a wild pitch, which allowed Candy Lachance um, to hit that clean single, and Beck trotted home. And if you're interested, his real name was George. Um, I think it was according to his Saber bio mentioned that he preferred to chew on peppermints instead of tobacco, hence earning the name Candy. So that was walk-off win number two. Perhaps the most notable walk-off took place on July 19th when former Cleveland star Cy Young was on the mound for Boston. 
Cy Young, the native of Tuscarawas County, and obviously Cy being in the news lately with Shane Bieber winning the American League Cy Young this year. So a lot of Cy Young just kind of popping up for you, and rightly so. He he was quite the pitcher, and uh, even if Old Haas on Twitter doesn't care for him. But on the mound for Cleveland was a guy named Earl Moore. Moore was a rookie out of Pickering, Pickerington, Ohio, it actually has a very fascinating bio on the Sabre website. So um, those are linked on their baseball reference page as well. So I'll tweet that out. It's it's fairly detailed and Moore had quite a, uh, a decent career. Um, so if you want to check that out, I will tweet that out when uh, the podcast comes out and give it a, a read. Again, that's a fascinating project that Sabre has, these bio projects. If a player doesn't have a biography, you can – you know, call dibs, research it, and and write the bios that go on their website. Um, the Hall of Fame carries a folder for every player that's played in the major league, so you can get your hands on that, and it's a whole lot of fun. So just throwing that out there, making a plug. But nevertheless, Cleveland scratched across their first run in the first when uh, Ollie Pickering gave third baseman Jimmy Collins a hard stop that he made gracefully. But then he chucked the ball four feet over the first baseman's head, and Pickering went to third while the fielders were chasing it. He then scored on a, uh, a ground out. Then Cy retired the next two batters, uh, all on infield uh, assists. So that was a one nothing game carried to the ninth when uh, Boston's Jimmy Collins singled, stole second, and uh, then there was one out when the shortstop Cleveland fumbled Freddie Parents grounder, which allowed the runner to be called safe. During this time, Jimmy Collins took third. Hope Ferris, one of Boston's youngsters, hit a fly to Pickering, and a splendid throw of the plate should have caught Collins, who ran from third, but Bob Wood allowed the run, runner to knock the ball out of his hands, and thus the score was tied 1-1. to And then the next man was thrown out at first, and that was it for the, uh, the ninth inning. Cleveland didn't uh, walk it off in the ninth, so we go into extra innings for our first extra innings walk-off in American League Cleveland baseball history. And in that 10th, Cleveland started out with a flyout by Lachance. So with one out, uh, Bill Bradley hit a ball to left field that said brought every loyal fan to his feet. It looked as if it were going over the fence, which would have been the first walk-off home run, but it struck about two feet from the top and bounded back holding the runner at second. So uh, missed that first uh, walk-off home run by about two feet. Next was uh, Bob Wood. Now, if you remember, Bob Wood's the catcher who dropped the ball uh, literally in the ninth when that run scored. That would have ended the game. So Bob had the opportunity of the game and made the most of it. He drove a line hit to right and Bradley scored while a crowd of players and spectators were trying to shake the hands off Wood. So... Again, in these early games, uh, you know, fans were <laughs> freely milling about the fields. And uh, going back to uh, one of the earlier podcasts in the 1920 uh, World Series, I mentioned about uh, Smokey Joe Wood. And there's this famous picture of Smokey Joe warming up before uh, one of his World Series. I think it was one of the World Series with Boston or when he was on his win streak. And there's just this crowd of fans around him. And it's a fascinating photo. Uh, you can Google that. I'm sure it'll pop up pretty easily. 
Nevertheless, Earl Moore had a heck of a game out dueling Cy Young. I imagine that is something you uh, tell your grandchildren about. Moore went 10 innings pitched, recording five hits, one unearned run, and three strikeouts. So, again, that's a, a heck of a, a heck of a game for a, a young pitcher. I also didn't think about it, but that's also a you know a game of two starting pitchers, both born in Ohio. I'm not sure how much that happens anymore, but uh, it's uh, an occasion of that. And we reach our last walk-off of 1901. So clearly 1901 had four walk-off wins for a uh, not very good Cleveland team. Now, this was a, the answer to a trivia question I posted on uh, Twitter that who was the first Cleveland pitcher, at least in the AL, to make his MLB debut, uh, get the win, and also have the walk-off, get his win for a walk-off and get that walk-off hit, uh, a gentleman named Jack Bracken. So this was a, a local kid, um, son of Irish immigrants, and 1901 actually ended up being his only year in the American League. But nevertheless, he picked up the win in this game, and uh, later in life I found this interesting. He's another one of those players that has a Sabre biography, and it mentioned when he moved to Michigan, he did a little uh, scouting for the Indians, which eventually led to the club picking up Steve Gromek. So a little full circle there with uh, Jack Bracken. Now opposing Bracken was Bill Reedy, who also was of Cleveland uh, birth. And Reedy eventually went on to help coach Cleveland pitchers, um, according to an article in the 1915 Plain Dealer. But he died pretty young at 42, not long thereafter. And he actually had to leave his coaching duties because of his ill health. So... Uh, you have, again, another instance of not only two Ohio guys pitching against each other, but you have two Clevelanders. And the Plain Dealer actually loved this Cleveland matchup. It said, quote, Seldom has a game at League Park been attended by such a sensational finish as with that of yesterday, when two Cleveland boys, an East Sider and a West Sider, faced each other in the box. The East Sider, in the person of Jack Bracken, uh, McLear's find, latest find winning out by a score of 5-4. to four. So again, that eternal struggle between the west side and the east side. Uh, paper also said that it was the most auspicious debut for the well-built Kirkland Street youth. Not only did he hold the Brewers down to six scattered hits, upon which Milwaukee should not have scored a run, but he also won his own game with a corking two-bagger in the ninth inning. It was this same two-bagger, by the way, which was the cause of an exciting episode not down on the scorecard. And we'll get to that uh, in a minute. The ninth inning opened up with a score 4-3 to three in favor of Milwaukee with who other than Candy LeChance at bat. And he hit a, an easy one to Gilbert and was out at first. Uh, Bill Bradley, however, was not so easily disposed of. The second ball pitched to him and he hit it uh, for a single. And then when Connor came to bat, the crowd began to yell, Wood, Wood. However, Cleveland manager decided to allow Connor to bat, and the ex-brewer made a noble attempt, uh, but he was robbed of a three-bagger, and uh, the outfielder took the ball off the fence. The cries for Wood continuing, the popular catcher went to the plate in place of Scheibeck and rolled one between Anderson and Gilbert. Bradley going to third, and with two out and two men on base, 
how that crowd of 2,000 fans did yell as Bracken came to bat. Uh, so, again, down four to three, two on, two out. Um, and you have the local kid in his major league debut, also the pitcher, going out there to uh, see what he can do. One ball yelled the umpire, and that was all. For the next one was right where the Sandlot pitcher wanted it, and he lifted it into the left field. The wind caught it and carried it towards the bleachers. And by a lucky chance, however, it dropped right on the whitewashed line, scattering the lime in all directions, according to the plane dealer. And the fans uh, went crazy, and it said the shouts could be heard at Public Square as Bradley and Wood ran home with the winning runs. Now, the part uh, that didn't make the scorecard that the paper was referring to was several of the Brewers players going up to the umpire and insisting that he call it foul. And uh, he mentioned that some of it was a pleasant and playful style of argument with the third baseman and the shortstop grabbing the umpire by uh, the shoulders and kind of shaking him. It said that it left him, the umpire, too breathless to even say, that'll cost you $25. But then Hugh Duffy came uh, charging from center field and said, breaking through the crowd, handed the umpire an expression of his regard in the way of a right hand to the back of the head. By this time, the Cleveland players had come to the umpire's assistance and pitcher Pete Dowling landed a swift left behind Duffy's ear. And that concluded the hostilities as the police and the crowds interfered. The latter was becoming rather threatening, and the Brewers made a run for their bus. So, again, these early games, you know, it's, uh, I sometimes think people have an idea that more prim and proper, but these games were pretty rowdy with uh, bottles being chucked and obviously canes and umbrellas going in the air. Um, and now by this point, too, in the season, the paper had started including some of these neat little uh, tidbits about the game to fill in some columns and I always find them fascinating because again some of these things this is the only place where they're recorded and something along the lines it said that Brad, uh, Bill Bradley tried to give the baseball a coating of dirt at the start of the game but it did not work because the umpire threw out a new ball to uh, to the pitcher and then there were uh, a bunch of rooters from Kent they said causing a uh, little commotion in the stands. You know, I love the, the term rooters and these rooter clubs uh, that teams would have. And in this game, there was a, a large group of them from Kent. And then uh, mentioned, too, from the umpire, he had a, uh, a quote in the paper. It said, I certainly shall report the fact that Duffy struck me to President Johnson at once. The blow did not hurt me, but the intent was there. The Milwaukee's have had it in for me all season. Last week's experience in Milwaukee being the worst during my career as umpire. The papers began it, and then the people and the players kept it up. So again, it wasn't safe to be uh, an umpire back in the back in the day. So after all that, I hope no one feels like, you know, tugging me by the arms or, you know, bopping me in the back of the head. I <laughs> hope that was a, a fun topic to uh, dive into. Only a hundred and some odd more years to. Uh, to go through but overall i think it's a unique way to incorporate some of those odd gears or a history that aren't 1920 or 1948 or the 90s but you know we'll get to those years and those walk-offs eventually um like i said it's a, a a slow burn on those but it'll be helpful for me to still get those out and you know get some uh 
some content in these cold winter months that we're going to have. I'm not sure I'll have a podcast out next week with the holidays, but uh, until then, again, thank you for listening to this episode of Our Tribe History presented by Progressive, and uh, go Tribe! You've been listening to Our Tribe History presented by Progressive with your host, Indians team historian, Jeremy Fedor.